This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of The Protocol newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Count here with my co-hosts Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. Please don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. Uh, and let's get right into it. We've got a lot of really interesting news and developments to get through this week. So in our first segment, we're going to be talking about a story that Margo wrote here. Polygon to offer data solution Celestia as option for new layer two developers. Kind of a mouthful. Margo, <laughs> tell us, what is that story? Yeah. So the news came out this week that Celestia, which is a data availability solution, has teamed up to offer its services to Polygon developers who are building with Chain Development Kit. Blockchain in the box, if you know everyone's been listening to our previous podcast and how we've referred to them. It's starting a new chapter in this layer two space where data availability solutions are becoming more and more available to these layer two chains, to layer two developers. You know, Celestia is like the big player in this, in the data availability problem space. You know, one of the things that this story was kind of getting a lot of traction and also, by the way, our colleague Oliver Knight wrote a story about the response in, in the price of that TIA token. Mm -hmm. The idea being that TIA is a way to play this blockchain modularity thesis if you mm -hmm. believe that everybody's going to be plugging into all of these things and celestia is going to potentially occupy a central spot and everybody can kind of use it i don't know what, what do you think about that marco yeah i can't talk to the specifics about like the price and tia token surging but like polygon and celestia were teasing it for a few days prior to the announcement on twitter on x so that obviously leads to some speculation, but also, like you said, Celestia is like, I think the only data availability solution that's mainnet is fully live now. You know, Avail is a competitor. They spawn out of Polygon, which is interesting, but they are, you know, due to be live sometime in early 2024. You know, I think there's not a whole lot of competition right now in this data availability space. And that's why Celestia might seem interesting to, to TIA token holders or people who want to hold TIA. I'm curious, like it would seem, so Celestia is, I, I think of it as a, as a blockchain because it is a blockchain, even though yeah. it's like a data availability solution as well. I wonder if you can talk a little bit to me, like help me wrap my head around like why Polygon would decide to outsource this rather than build it into their own systems. Like, is there some reason why a partner was better suited to do this than like you said, they spun out a veil. I'm not entirely sure why they've decided to to go somewhere out of house when they had something in-house. But the way they had phrased this to me in terms of, I mean, I think the data availability problem is just like more widespread. Like as these layer two networks become more and more congested, then 
they're going to have to look for ways to to store that data off or, or to publish data off chain. And so with Celestia, I think that's like what they had told me was that this is the one that's mainly up and running now, that it's an option for developers who want to use CDK. And so in theory, in the future, there are other data availability solutions like Avail. And if Avail is able to plug into the Polygon, then developers can choose. So it's not like it's entirely only Celestia from what I understood from this announcement. But like I said, for for the moment now, like this is really the only main player in the space. So there's these natural integrations happening between these different layer two projects and Celestia. I think there'll be some other announcements, I'm sure soon, of other layer twos. You know, I can see that happening because, you know, when it rains, it pours in crypto. So, you know, one one layer two integrating with Celestia could probably start a trend with that. I do feel like the Avail thing is worth taking one more moment to talk about. Like sure. you, you said in your article that it was incubated within Polygon and they do also offer a data availability solution. And they say in your piece that like, yeah, like eventually, you know, we'll open things up to solutions like Avail. But it does seem like this is, it's not a good sign, at least outwardly for this other project that was incubated within Polygon, or at least the optics would, you know, suggest as much. So I yeah. I, I guess, I don't know what, the, what we can speculate from here, but I wonder why they would choose a competing service at all, given the potential, you know, I don't know, assumptions one can make. And that's the thing. I, I, I asked that question to them because when you look with the Polygon blog post, it very much only talks about Celestia. And I was like, hold on. Only six months ago did they have something like this in-house. And also they had mentioned that they were moving away from the roadmap when it comes to other data availability solutions that they were going to rely on Ethereum. And so I personally have no idea if there's any kind of personal drama maybe involved in this. This is all purely speculation, but there have been a lot of breakups between Polygon and its large founding group. But I've also heard that there's no bad blood between, you know, the Avail folks and the Polygon folks. But it's a very good question. What I will say is that when I asked about Avail and why Tap its competitor, they said, well, Again, Avail mainnet is not live. So if Avail mainnet would become live, like they would be open, I guess, to the future of having developers tap into Avail's uh, solution. So, you know, we'll just have to see what happens once Avail goes live. Just a couple quick parting thoughts before we move on to the next topic. I mean, just on Polygon, I mean, they seem very, very good, or maybe good is not the right word. Aggressive, at, uh, aggressive, maybe not the right word either, but. They're really open to to making cutting a lot of deals. That is seems to be Polygon. They cut a ton of deals. They're yeah. partnered with Near. We saw, you know, they they're constantly cutting deals. Yeah, exactly. That's one concept. And then Celestia, you know, I mean, Margo, you wrote about data availability. It was such an arcane topic just a few months ago, and then nobody had ever heard of Celestia. And now all of a sudden, everybody's talking about, you know, data availability, Celestia, the modularity concept. It's just, you know, it's another example of how the race is on to be the first mover on these things. Like, to your point, like Celestia, they're out, they're alive, they're cutting deals, they're getting, you know, integrated. I hate that word, but, you know, they're <laughs> getting integrated into all these projects and it just kind of shows that the first mover advantage really is real kind of in crypto. Just things moving so fast and trying to, you know, get your name recognition out there, be in front of the narrative. All right. So the second topic, Sam, you've penciled in here to our show notes, points, baby. 
that was <laughs> that was what you put. But and then just lots of hilarious tweets that we're leaking here in our show notes. Anyway, Sam, blockchain points. Suddenly everybody's talking about them, everybody's joking on them. What is this story? Yeah, so I mean to to back up, I'm getting like a little bit of whiplash all of a sudden. <laughs> Where, you know, we were in this bear market, but suddenly, you know, with some of these airdrops, like that Gito airdrop that we saw, people like people that I know have gotten tens of thousands of dollars for interacting with the protocol over a year ago or two years ago and forgetting about it. And people are just like really excited, enthusiastic again. And it's starting to feel kind of like it did in the middle of crypto's last hype cycle. And a lot of the hype this time around is being driven by airdrops, but it's also like past cycles being driven by you know, systems that don't necessarily uh, accord with how people talk about blockchain in like a more ideological sense. And one of these big systems is this whole points idea, where in that Gito case, which is a protocol on Solana, in the case of Blast, which is this controversial protocol that we talked about a few weeks ago on the on, on the podcast, I won't get into it again. I mean, I could go on and on, but there's a lot of these protocols that are embarking on these engagement initiatives, recruitment initiatives, where they introduce points to users, where they're saying, hey, use our platform. And later on, maybe we'll give you an airdrop or explicitly they'll say we'll give you an airdrop. But you know, you got to trust us to track that offline on our own servers with these points. And people don't like that setup. I mean, just to step back, the point, what is the point of the points? Basically, like to provide some sort of a measure of a user's engagement so as to, in the future, entail that user to, if not the explicit guarantee, then the prospect of future on-chain tokens. And the reason why this has kind of ruffled some feathers, but some people have you know, really jumped on, is because it, it does not necessarily align, in some people's view, with the crypto ethos to have these companies tracking your engagement on their own servers, rather than doing that in a blockchain native on-chain way where they can actually show on an on-chain transaction what your engagement was, why you have X, you know, X points. So Brad, if you use like one of these protocols and you think that you're entailed to receive certain number of points, which would uh, again later entail you to a, a certain number of tokens, you know, you, you have no recourse or you don't have some cryptographic re- recourse because all this is being tracked offline now. So so in that sense, they're really not a ton different from like, you know, loyalty programs, yeah. you know, what's different is they are almost in some ways, there's no promise here, but people know that probably they will lead to money, right? Yeah. I mean, unlike Delta, you know, if Delta's like, you know, we're going to convert all our frequent flyer miles into dollars at the end of the year. Like, you know, people (laughs) might might be looking for them. Yeah. I mean, it's very much like traditional loyalty programs. And that's kind of what makes a lot of sense on, on, you know, on the other hand about this, which is loyalty programs do encourage engagement. And if it's easier for these platforms to set up these loyalty programs in the Web2 world, or if for whatever reason, as a lot of people have speculated, the idea of points rather than on-chain tokens has been used as a mechanism to evade potential legal stickiness that one might have from introducing token tracking or like token-based points, whatever, you know, the SEC might decide those are securities. This point system is where people have landed, where companies rather have landed. And users do seem, I mean, we've been seeing a bunch of news articles about it. We had one about a Solana thing. We had one, you know, there's a rainbow 
is another platform that uh, the block wrote about recently, which is introducing a point system. It's working. Yeah, I wonder, you know, the the timing of all this is really interesting because I feel like we're sort of coming out of a bear market, right? Like there's more activity, prices are coming up. And introducing these points, I think, just sort of tries to incentivize more users to be able to, you know, use blockchain, use crypto, maybe get some new users into the space as we're sort of heading out of winter. To that, I'm wondering what your take is on the hysteria on crypto Twitter. Given the environment we're in, if we were in a different time, would things be more negative on these point systems? Like, where where are we at in terms of like the culture online? Yeah, it's hard to predict anything, but it does seem like we're getting to a, a sort of mania like we've seen in past cycles. Not necessarily, I, I don't know if that's around prices or anything, but just in terms of appetite for engagement mechanisms that don't necessarily have tech or guarantees behind them but do dangle prospects of, of money and free money at that to, to people. People mm-hmm. just love that sort of stuff. And we didn't see it for like a year. But now I guess these protocols are like noticing, hey, maybe we'll be able to get retail back in. And so this is the time that they're launching these, these sort of programs. Okay, our next story, we're going to talk about it here. Margo, your story. Kronos, this is out at, I think, what, 4 a.m. today? <laughs> Kronos, partner of Crypto.com to start layer two network with Matter Labs. Of course, you know, crypto.com, they had the Crow token, and then they they, you know, launched this, they were helped to launch this Kronos blockchain. And now uh it's gonna become a layer two. What's what's the story there, Margo? Yeah, so the story is that they are joining the blockchain in the box stacks race. Or I don't even know if it's a race, but they're you know part of that newer ecosystem. Basically, so Kronos has two existing chains. One is Layer One EVM. The other one is a POS chain, which Crypto.com has sort of partnered with them to develop it. And so now they've coming out with a third one, a Layer Two, and they have tapped Matter Lab CK Stack to build that out for them. And so this is just an addition to the existing you know L2 growth and especially it's interesting to see these projects that have uh, exchanges affiliated with them. I think this is also sort of the first major chain that's tapping Matter Labs to build its network. I, I heard that their chain will be the first public testnet from the ZK stack hyperchains. And so it's sort of interesting to see where this is going with Matter Labs, especially because they're also sort of still in the running for Kraken's layer two, but that hasn't you know been decided yet. And so We'll see what this all means in terms of where exchanges are going on chain. Yeah. All right. Well, that is super interesting. And we're going to take a break now. And uh, when we come back, we're going to dive into our protocol village segment where we're going to take a deep dive into uh, a, a long and very technical essay that came out yesterday from Vitalik Buterin, the Ethereum co-founder. We'll be right back. Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started. 
Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash, the value of it, I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, et cetera, is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it. But by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And yeah. it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. We're going to jump right into our Protocol Village segment. This week, we're talking Vitalik Buterin's essay on... ZKEVM enshrinement. Uh, it's pretty technical. <laughs> Enshrined ZKEVM. The headline that, that I wrote was Ethereum's Buterin floats prospect of taking some layer two functions back on chain to kind of, you know, say what the story really is. I mean, if the idea is that he laid out this roadmap years ago for pushing a lot of stuff off of the main Ethereum blockchain onto these layer twos. That world has now taken off, as we've been talking about. Layer twos are everywhere now. and But now he's talking about taking maybe taking some of that ZK, ZKEVM back into Ethereum with possibly some technological advances that would make that possible. It is pretty technical. Uh, stuff. I mean, Sam, you, you actually edited this story, which I was very appreciative of. What What's your take on this? Yeah. So at a, at a very high level, the, the conversation that this is a part of is the zero knowledge growth, um, the growth of ZK technology that we've seen over the past year, two years, where Ethereum has offloaded a bunch of data to increasingly ZK powered chains. So chains that use a bunch of fancy cryptography to verify that what they bundle up from users, the transactions they get from users, and then pass back down to Ethereum as a way to speed things up and reduce congestion. They use ZK, ZK proofs, in order to prove to the main Ethereum chain that those transactions that these separate chains are processing can be trusted. And it would be a much, much longer podcast episode to get into how that technology and how that cryptography actually works. But the key thing that's happening here is that in contrast to 
Vitalik's um, earlier vision for this sort of like roll-up centric roadmap where you offload a bunch of responsibilities from the main Ethereum chain and then allow these you know separate blockchains to do these things like ZK cryptography before they pass them back down to Ethereum. He's kind of saying, hey, let's take one of the key functions here the ZK EVM, the zero knowledge, you know, virtual machine that layer two zero knowledge rollups run on. Let's bring some of that functionality onto Ethereum itself. Let's generate these like, you know, cryptographic proofs that currently happen elsewhere and do it on the native Ethereum blockchain as a way to maybe speed things up, but also make things safer because we can see everything that's going on on the main Ethereum chain and so on and so forth. There's a ton of benefits that the Dalek proposes. He also mentions that there's a lot of trade-offs. Margo, you have followed Vitalik Buterin, and he writes these things. How do you, when he writes something, what is the significance of that for the Ethereum community? Like, are these pieces influential? You know, on the one hand, Vitalik has been seen as sort of the spiritual leader of the Ethereum ecosystem. I think people have always looked up to him in terms of what he's built, what his ideas are. But at the same time, I think there is a healthy exchange of disagreement sometimes with with some of his writings. And so when he does come out with these pieces, well, first of all, this piece, I think, is like one of the most technical pieces I've read in in months, maybe maybe a year or two from Vitalik. But at the same time, like he's a great writer and I think and he has a lot of ideas. And I think that a lot of it is seen as like an exchange of ideas, not just, you know, commandment of how things should go. But you know, also there's been a lot of investments into the layer two space over the last couple of years. And so for it to become, to be viewed as like a declaration of a change of roadmap, I think is a bit of a stretch because having a ZK EVM enshrined in the L1 versus an L2, I think they all serve different purposes. And so it just depends in terms of as a user or builder, what you are specifically looking for. You know, I think it's been read and it's still being processed, I think, maybe with the wider devs, but I don't think that they view it necessarily as in order in in terms of what's next for Ethereum. Also, because there's just so many ideas that Vitalik has come out with when it comes to Ethereum, and they just have so much to tackle, honestly. I guess one question might be Ethereum, they, you know, to your point, they've got a lot going on and... Even the things that are kind of imminent for them on their roadmap, on their plate, like the, you know some of the other things they're doing, like proto dank sharding their yeah, you know data effort this year. That it's coming soon, but it's also been delayed. You know, and they have a lot of conversations. Like, I mean, I guess the question is if if Ethereum wanted to do something like Vitalik's talking about here, I mean, how long does that take? I mean, it would take I don't a really a- long time. Yeah, I don't have an exact timeline for that. What I will say is with with proto-dank sharding, I mean, proto-dank sharding is coming, what, like March, April? You know, they had aimed for the end of last year. So it's only a few months delay. And like in the grand scheme of things of the the delayedness of Ethereum, that's not super delayed, right? The merge, even though there was no exact timeline for that, was more of a, you know, vaguely few-year delay. So I will say, like Sam said, it'll take a long time for that to actually happen. But also, you know, the space changes at such a fast rate. We were talking about, we thought that zero knowledge rollups were five, 10 years away, maybe two, three years ago. And here we are, you know, six months ago, seven, eight months ago, Polygon, ZK went went live, ZK Sync era went live. So we, I think the, the space builds were very fast. Maybe enshrined ZK AVMs are actually closer than we think, but maybe not as well. 
To that point, I think you mentioned like a, a key takeaway for this piece, um, or at least something that it underscored for me. I kind of wrote about this last year too, at the end of the year, which is after the Ethereum merge, it did start to feel like, and it, it's continuing to feel like most Ethereum development is happening beyond Ethereum itself. It's third-party yeah. developers that are developing that have essentially commoditized ZK cryptography, um, types of ZK cryptography that were years ago seemed um, you know, quite far off. It's third parties that are handling a lot of network traffic these days that are creating a lot of the innovations that are that are driving this space forward with like distributed validators, which is something that I'll be writing about this week. But ultimately, while these kind of statements from Vitalik are really useful in guiding the ideology behind Ethereum and the long term vision and roadmap and getting people talking, it, it would be a lot of politics, a lot of technical development and so on and so forth to actually see some of this stuff come to come to fruition. Yeah. All right. Well, a fascinating topic, uh, a little, you know, a little more ethereal than some of the <laughs> discussions we had about points. But anyway, uh, all right, we're going to wrap it there. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks to our incredible producer, Michelle Musso. If you have questions about any stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on coindesk.com. See you next week.